Hello, and welcome to the season finale of season three of Get Cynical. So, I think that in analyzing Max Landis's film and arc, we have lost sight a little bit of his career. So, I want to give a brief recap to everyone who wasn't in the know. Max Landis spent, I would say, the span of 2012 through 2017 as this sort of enfant terrible figure in Hollywood. He was very successful, very popular. He was, you know, kind of like Joe Azertas, sell, you know, selling these insane pitches for absurd amounts, writing a lot of scripts, and he got four movies made in one year. Four. That is insane. In 2015, Me, Him, Her, American Ultra, Mr. Right, and Victor Frankenstein were all released. Again, that is unbelievable numbers. People who have been longtime successes in Hollywood don't get to make that much movies. That is insane, even with his father. That's unbelievable, frankly. And then, in 2017, he took the two biggest L's of his career. The first of which was Bright. Bright was his big blank check movie. The one that could prove that, you know, he was a top creative mind in Hollywood. This was him trying to prove that he could be George Lucas and not just John Landis' son. And he failed miserably. He defers blame a lot of that. He blames Ayer a lot. But, you know, whether or not that's true, it was something catastrophically blowing up in his face. Now, he could be fine. He could survive that. I don't think that he would get that much Netflix money in the future, but he would still be able to sell scripts and pitches, you know? He would be making rent. However, in late 2017, he was accused of sexual assault by Anna Akana and then a lot more people. Like, a lot more. This wasn't just like, you know, an Aziz Ansari thing where there was just one case of sexual assault. You know, it was a he said, she said type of thing. And I'm not even saying that in those cases, you shouldn't believe the victims. Christ, no. But I'm saying that in those cases, the victimizer often has enough plausible deniability to maintain status in Hollywood. This was a flood of accusations. It was like an absurd amount of people on the level of Spacey or even Weinstein. It was unbelievable. And then two, on top of that, on 2019, he got a second flood of accusations that canceled some of the scripts that were in production. He was dropped by his talent agency. This man was Me Too'd twice. And if you couple that with the fact that he was widely hated in Hollywood, producers and directors and actors have all complained about working with him and how much they don't like him, this is a man without a career, without a future. I don't care who your fucking dad killed. You do not get to make movies anymore. You are never going to make a movie again. You are going to make movies in your car for the rest of your life. That is what's going to happen. And then, in 2020, the impossible happened. A film with Max Landis's name on it came out. Now, remember, 2020 is the year of COVID. It is the year where movies were not released. This is the year that the only stuff that got a release was either stuff that had been shelved long enough that it had to be dumped out, like The Empty Man, you know, late in the game 2019 releases that, you know, there was no other choice, like First Cow, or 
absolute bottom of the barrel fucking VOD trash that would just be shoveled onto the screen. It would be shoveled onto people's Amazon home screens. And whoever was stupid enough to buy this shit, that was how they'd make their money back. You know, it was a real crisis for the industry. And here it is. Now, I want to clarify. The director of this movie, Roseanne Lang, and the star, Chloe Grace Moretz, both insist that this script was substantially rewritten from Max Landis's original draft. Like, again, they acknowledged the fact that he was a sexual, you know, abuser. He was removed as producer. So <laughs> they have taken all of the fact, all everything they can to distance themselves from Landis on the script. But as we'll talk about later, there is an elephant in the room that will prevent them from fully dis distancing themselves from the Landis name. And this film is released. It is a bad film, but it is also the perfect capstone on Landis's career. I think Esther will agree. Um, you know, it's interesting that you bring up that uh, the director and star of this film insisted that this was substantially, almost entirely rewritten from, from Landis's draft, um, you know, to, to the extent that it was basically just just their film now, and maybe they were just using an idea. Because I have Max Landis's draft of Shadow in the Cloud. I have I have read Max Landis's draft of Shadow in the Cloud, and I have, as of today, seen the film Shadow in the Cloud, and they are almost identical. Um, yes, there there is they, they didn't change anything, and I know they had to say that because. That's the only possible way that you could get away with making a Max Landis script in 20 fucking 20. But no, they're completely full of shit. It is, it is the same movie. Yeah, and even if it wasn't, even if it wasn't, again, there is a certain fact about the story that I don't think either of us were spoiled on that makes it impossible to be, for it to be disentangled from the Landis legacy. Yeah. And this isn't me making a glib joke. There is a big fucking elephant in the middle of this script yep. that you cannot ignore. <laughs> and I shouted when it happened. And we're going to go through this movie. You know, we're going to go point by point. We're going to recap the plot. And we're going to recap our reactions for you all. Because this is a, this is a fascinating film. It is very much... I would be shocked... If this wasn't a COVID production. <laughs> um, no, it was not a COVID production, actually. What? It was a it was shot in 2019. Okay. That's, that's insane. I mean, we'll get into it, yeah. but that's insane. Yeah. It it is kind of a miracle that this film was dumped on Devad in 2020 because this looks like a COVID film. This <laughs> this like more than the Hong Sang Soo films where it's just two people standing in a room together looks like a fucking covid production. Um but No, yeah. We I mean where 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 do you want to begin here? Okay. So, let's talk about the story. And again, I I If you're going to watch this movie, don't look up anything about it because the, I think the shock I got, the two shocks I got from this movie, I think are the two greatest movie-watching experiences I've had all year. <laughs> like, the jolt of electricity I got, I think, like, surpassed watching Goodbye Dragon Inn for the first time this year. 
<laughs> like, there is something you can only get from a film like this. But, okay. Look. This film, it is a remarkable bait and switch. You start with a pilot officer named Maude Garrett, played by Chloe Grace Moretz, in her, uh, whatever the hell her career is right now. Um, do you know, what is she doing? Now that she... I- She's I haven't graduated seen her in fucking anything. Yeah, she she used to be the precocious child star with the really really creepy fan base of forty five year olds. <laughs> now um, she is a non entity. I thought oh, she, she retired from acting because of all the pedophiles, but she was in that Louis C K pedophilia movie. Um, the last good thing she was in was the Miseducation of Cameron Post. That was in twenty eighteen. She has not yeah. been doing fucking jack shit since. It seems like. Okay, maybe she's just on hiatus. Maybe the script was just so good. I need need to fucking be a shadow in the cloud. I don't care what anyone says. So she receives a top secret package that she needs to transfer on this World War II flight. And she arrives on the flight. And it's a bomber named the Fool's Errand. And this is a flight that does not I am not a World War II buff, but this is a flight that is not traveling over a war zone, basically. You know, it, it is a strictly, it is an very safe allied mission, whatever. It is not a combat mission. And she gets sent down into the bottom turret. And she sits down in there, and she is immediately greeted by a group of, I think, seven men, all of whom are varying degrees of sexist asshole. And You can get a bead on what type of film this is uh, pretty immediately. For starters, it is a hilariously cheap film because (laughs) when these men are introduced, they're given these funny little neon tableaus in the middle of a dark room rather than just being showed on the ship that they're flying. Yeah. Um, And when we talk about this being a COVID production, she goes into the little gunner turret this little orb yeah. on the bottom of the plane. She she does not come out for an hour of this 83-minute film. She is in yes. there, and she is talking to everyone on the radio, and that is what the movie is. And like you say, everyone gets introduced with these little, like, fucking neon uh, black void close-ups so that you'll have an image in your mind of what they look like because you're not going to be seeing them. You are just going to be listening to them, and so many of them sound the same. <laughs> like, there is some of them have like accents, but like, that's the only yes. way you're going to be able to tell any of these people apart. Yes, there's the like Irish guy. He's a real fucking asshole. You know, classic Irish behavior. <laughs> and uh, or maybe he's Scottish. I think the, the radio guy Scottish was, was Scottish, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um,. And he is a very sexist asshole. And the first, like, 15 minutes of this movie are uh, <laughs> are just, like, the, all the men saying, like, yeah, I'd love to stick my, my balls in your asshole, cunt, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's really, like... like it is, <laughs> they really this, lay on the sexism. It, it's really tedious. It goes on forever. Like, I was... I yeah. made that note when I... When I was first watching this movie and I thought, oh, surely this scene of her being in the fucking turret will end soon. Man, this is going on for a long time. Just her listening to them talk about her pussy over the radio, like over and over yeah. and over. Um, it's so miserable. I, and I think that that accentuation is what like primarily was added 
by by Roseanne Liang and and Chloe Grace Moretz. <laughs> Which is, like, is funny oh. because I would have guessed that was a Landis classic. I would have guessed that performative male ally Max Landis would have laid on the sexism of these assholes very fucking thick. Yeah, I, I think that they tried to sort of like accentuate that because otherwise. You know, otherwise this movie is about something else, and you kind of have to have yeah. some social commentary to lay on top of it, because <laughs> otherwise it's about a thing. It's it's about something. Um, yeah, yeah we'll, uh, we'll get to it. We're, we'll but get to no, it soon. they spend a whole lot of time with her in the cockpit, and there's like two or three camera angles that they use for this entire sequence, <laughs> and the whole time she's being yelled. Um, and one touch I did legitimately like is that they have, like, a nice guy character set up for her to, like, you know, who's supportive. And then at some point she just says, all right, calm down. Let her be hysterical in peace. When she regroups, <laughs> we'll let her back on. I actually did kind of get a chuckle out of that. Yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, but it is a, a huge when they get done movie, talking about – when they get done talking about how much they want to fuck her, they move into, like, all right, sweetheart. Um, if, you, if you know so much about planes, uh, what does a plane do? And then she's like – well, actually, it flies in the sky. And they're like, what? You're a woman. How do you know that? Yeah. No, they don't believe it. It's like, we need to check this woman's credentials. So no dame should be flying. <laughs> <laughs> they they really, really, like, it's funny. They push it, like, insane even by 40 standards. Like, there's a part where she's, like, having, like, a fucking autistic savant-level knowledge of planes. And then she's like, <laughs> oh, you talking about your uterus or the plane, sweetheart? <laughs> no, i'm sorry like I'm, I don't, I'm not like a traditionalist or anything but there's no way guys in the 40s talked like this yeah they had like the seven most sexist guys on the entire air force to talk to <laughs> yeah no most of these guys would be screaming in agony because they have ptsd <laughs> no um in fact the way you know that the one thing that i Esther, in the original draft, you know, there's a black character in this. Does is does the black character ever stare at her ass in the original draft? That is a good question. That would be early on. Um, yeah, since I I don't know, I he doesn't really get a chance to. But like, I feel like if that was a Landis original, I think that's what would have happened. I think that just almost certainly would have happened. And if they cut that out, good on them. Yeah, oh does, boy. D- doesn't doesn't look like it. Credit credit okay. to Max for skipping <laughs> skipping that. He learned from Chronicle, you know? <laughs> he only touched on it once. Okay, so <sighs> the first like 20 minutes or so, now that, you know, she's a person and it's like a, it's a it's a bottle movie basically. This is a type of movie we talked about buried on this podcast before. It was a very popular bottle mm-hmm. movie in the early 2010s. Lock was a cult phenomenon in the early 2010s. That's the one with mm-hmm. Tom Hardy in the car. I have, I think, a special place in my heart for those movies. Since at in my heart, I am still a 16-year-old watching movies rented from the Colorado uh, library on my <laughs> laptop and getting my mind blown that an entire movie can be in a cube or something. So <laughs> I have a special place in my heart. And I found this modestly enjoyable once they stopped you know talking about how much they want to like stick their tongue in her belly button or whatever like i i I found it (laughs) modestly enjoyable there's um you know there's it's it's the classic problem solving picture where the 
you know, the plane gets jammed, so she has to unjam it. The uh, the cockpit gets jammed. Uh, she, uh, at one point, uh, the turret breaks open, or, like, the little turret area that she's in breaks open, and she has to. It's a truly gruesome shot where she has to hold open it, like, the na that nail would normally hold with her finger. That's, like, you know, impressive level body horror in one of these. But, um, okay. We've beaten around the bush for a long time. So the central conflict to begin this is that she notices a beef, like a Japanese bomber plane out of the side of her window. And then she's like, hey, there's something here, but disappears before she can talk about anyone with it. So they don't believe her. This is also not a zone where Japanese fighter planes travel. So there's added reasonable doubt there. But she keeps seeing a shadow in the cloud, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And she becomes convinced that it's a Japanese B-52 bomber that is uh, following them. And at some point, she does see a Japanese B-52 bomber following them and manages to convince them in a scene where she actually shoots it down in the middle of the sky. I want to I reiterate that, you know, this movie is very stupid. It's very dumb. Yeah. But I enjoyed the... I personally, due to my own weaknesses enjoyed the modest pleasures of Chloe Grace Moretz in a room stuck trying to convince her colleagues that there are Japanese fighter planes ready to attack. What I was not prepared for is that there is another thing that she has to convince her crew of. All right, let's back up a little bit. In the 1960s, there was a TV show that you might have heard of called The Twilight Zone. One of the most famous episodes of The Twilight Zone it's called Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, in which William Shatner is convinced there is a gremlin on the side of a plane that only he can see and has to desperately convince the entire crew of the plane that there is a gremlin on the side of this plane. This was later remade in Twilight Zone the movie, which was an anthology film. In that movie, which John Landis co-directed, he did not do the Nightmare at 20,000 Feet segment, but that was George Miller. But in this movie that forever has the scar of the murder of multiple people on it, including a small child, the same thing happens plot-wise. And in Shadow of the Cloud, sure enough, what jumps onto the cockpit is a gremlin. A honest-to-God CGI gremlin. Mm -hmm. I'm not, there's, I mean, what do you even say? What do you even say? Esther, did you see? Did you know that was going to happen? Because I didn't, and I shrieked like a fucking no. child. <laughs> I, I did not know that was going to happen. Um, it, it 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 didn't even it 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 didn't even occur to me at first what was happening because I was like, oh, oh, this is just like oh, this is the Max Landis thing where he takes a story that everyone knows and he does like a dumb twist on it. Like, oh, I'm doing the Twilight Zone episode. Um, but it's in World War II this time. And then I, and then I realized <laughs> that he was doing yeah. a, a Twilight Zone. Like, and in, yeah. in fact, that this segment was in Twilight Zone, the movie. Yes. It, it is like the idea that he would, it is like, it is like the OJ, if I did it of screenplays. Yes. Like the idea Literally. that he would write this. Yes. Like, I mean, it's beyond belief. He is riffing on the movie his dad made that killed people. 
Like, there's no, there's no way around it. He's making the same goddamn movie. Like, here it is. A Max Landis written movie. And no matter how much the fucking director and the fucking star wants you to not think about the neon-haired rapist that was involved with this movie, the entire premise is cribbed from his dad's fucking snuff film. It's unbelievable. It is. It is one of the most like astonishing. That the idea that he could get away with that, like in twenty twenty, in twenty twenty, the idea that he's like, all right, my dad is known for you know a couple things, but really one main thing, and he yeah. is the reason that I have a career. Um, yes. So, like, was he even? Did that even occur to him? I wonder. Do you think it even occurred to Max Landis? That there was a connection there. Like, yes. You have to imagine, like, even if it had, surely he would have been like, oh, that's a little distasteful. Or would he have? I mean, he has notoriously been on the side of his dad in the whole debacle. Like, okay, I, I don't even know how you even, like, square that circle. Like, there, there's no, mm-hmm. like, it's not like a Woody Allen situation where there's a second side to take. Like, you can't say, oh, that plane was acting in self-defense against that small child. Like, <laughs> no, there's there's no, like, alternate angle here. The only thing they really have is, like, he was devastated by his own fuck-up, too. And it's like, no, he was on trial for manslaughter. Like, it was his unbelievably unsafe filming practices that made these people die. Mm-hmm. he has been on the side of his dad. As a matter of fact. It's something that I we've been waiting to touch on. So we might as well bring it up now, maybe read a little bit. Because in 2021, which is the same year this movie got its actual release, Max Landis wrote a piece where after years of going off the grid, finally responded to the flood of accusation that he received. And again, I need to emphasize, this is not just like a one-off thing. Like this was not one person accusing him, which... Wouldn't make it any less legitimate, I remind you. But this isn't something where he can kind of needle his way out of it with he said, she said, or whatever. This was, like, it's undeniable. There, there were dozens, dozens of people accusing him. And he posted a piece called, Why I Never Responded to My Public Shame about his rape accusations. And in this piece, he compares what he has gone through to his dad dealing with grief after the Twilight Zone movie and how the media treated his dad. Again, like, what do you even say there? Yeah, it is. It's like, it's the joke you'd make about it. (laughs) Max Landis really has kind of left us speechless, I think. Um, Yeah, like... This is like this is it right here. And I mean, I could I could read I'll read a little bit about this. Um what is it? Uh He says in this, "When I was about 9 years old, my dad and I were walking through the Century City movie theater and a random adult man screamed the words helicopter crash at my father." That <laughs> cool ass guy right there. Um, that I didn't recognize rocks. it. <laughs> that is like can that guy be on this episode? Like yeah, the if, next you're, episode? if you know that guy. <laughs> if you know this fucking dude. Us. Yeah, please. We would love to interview him. 
Um, but he said, I didn't realize it, but of course my father was triggered and fell completely silent, becoming emotional on the drive home. I was so baffled. Didn't people understand that wasn't something to yell in the lobby of a movie theater to a man who was holding hands with his son? To a man who was found innocent? To a man who undoubtedly would have PTSD from witnessing the horrific accident up close? Why would anyone do that? And then he talks a lot about, about how trolls went after him for the Twilight Zone shit. And then he he complains a little bit um, about his public shaming where he says, Someone made a sponsored video where they compared me implicitly to Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein. I was shown it and I laughed out loud. I'm not a real celebrity. 99% of the people who watched that video had no idea who I was. And again, it just took the weight off my back. It made me realize that so much of this current cancel culture, at least the bubble I had been in, wasn't about accountability at all. It was about spite. And that's what he has to say about the woman who accused him of rape, that it was about spite. I mean, yeah, I, if, here, so like, yeah, here's the thing. You know, I am the furthest thing you could possibly get from like an anti-cancel culture person. Genuinely. Um, Is he wrong out of context to say that a lot of people don't actually care about accountability. They just want to hurt people. That happens all the time. Obviously. It doesn't happen to you, Max. It doesn't happen to fucking famous rich people. And you are famous. Sorry. You have like, you had four fucking movies and in theaters in a year. You're famous. Um, That didn't happen to you. You got accused of rape because you're a rapist. And the idea of like writing on the fucking, you know, uh, coattails of pain of people who like you know of people who are just publicly shamed because they you know said a wrong thing one time and people tried to get them to kill themselves like that's not you you are the the, the refusal to like even like you should have just never said anything about it It would have been so much better if you had just never said anything about it instead of coming out years later and trying to do the fucking song and dance of like, well, they just wanted to hurt me. (laughs) Yeah. And again, in this article, he repeatedly emphasizes what like a bad person he used to be. Like he says, you know, he said, people in my real life, those close to me, are very aware that I was a messy and damaged, selfish person who caused chaos and harm. They are also aware that my shaming was ultimately a somewhat corrupt enterprise. I would not have anyone in my life if I was actually the guy from the article. If it reads like a pastiche of every single bad thing a toxic man would do, that's because it is pastiche. Like, I mean, again. First of all, one of the main things that was in that article that I remember is that he had like a cult of personality around him and that he cultivated these like sycophantic orbiters um yeah so like oh you you, of course you have people in your life max like that that's not contradicted by what was accused uh, what you were accused of yeah yes and two i i again i mean just like the whole the 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 audacity to simultaneously deny the fact that there is a insurmountable amount of evidence that you have committed heinous crimes that you were one of, in an industry full of rapists and pedophiles, you were among the worst. And then to also hedge but saying, but I was a really messy person too. Like, I mean, it's beyond belief. Like, what do you even say to that? 
like you're staring in the face of narcissism reaching like simultaneously its most grievous injury and yet it's like final victory this is a man who like the main character at the end of brazil when he's just the walls close in on him he just escapes into a dream world like that's that's it's just i can't believe this and here he is making a movie about his the same movie that his dad killed people to make <laughs> what do you even say what do you even say uh what i will say about this movie to bring things a little bit lighter is that um this movie makes a catastrophic decision to abandon its central gimmick halfway through it's so most of this is uh chloe grace moretz in the cockpit you know she's just there she sees the gremlin she's got to convince the people that she's a gremlin and the way max riffs on this idea is that she actually manages to convince them that there's a gremlin on the plane about halfway through at which point it shifts into a more conventional action movie and the whatever you thought of the quality of the movie before like the the bottom falls out at this point yeah it, it is it, it's not halfway through by the way this is an 80 yeah. minute movie I, yeah. I noted it down she 75 the, yeah well yeah with fucking credits she leaves the she leaves the turret 52 minutes in so it's like it's not the second half of the movie it is like the climax that she gets out and it is a terrible decision because the whole movie i was watching like holy shit is she ever going to get out of this stupid turret <laughs> um because yeah. it the thing that makes it like the thing that makes a movie like buried or a movie like lock work is that like those characters are isolated and they are very distant from the people they're in contact with like they are you know if not literally stuck they are like they they are uh, far away from anyone and specifically from the people they're talking to which creates yeah. drama like that is what creates the drama they are just up in the fucking plane <laughs> they're right yeah. there like there's a whole thing where they can't get the hatch open or, or maybe they can but they don't want to and it's like it's just so fucking frustrating that I'm sitting here looking at the same three setups of Chloe Grace Moretz as she's talking over the radio to people who are 10 feet away from her and who could just be seen on screen. And it would make things a lot clearer in terms of the characters. It's just, it is disastrous. Yeah. And again, they they do those little tableaus at the beginning, but who is fucking telling these people apart without a face to put to them? These yeah. are all the same generic, grizzled fucking Wolfenstein characters. Like, <laughs> they're, you're not telling these people apart except, except from the one with accents. And then the gremlin shows up. I'll give this movie credit. That is, it, it's kind of shitty 2006 type CGI. It's that really is good, good gremlin design, though. Good gremlin. Very scary. The gremlin's got, like, little eyes and teeth all over his body. That's a well-designed little gremlin. I I respect. If I saw that shit on my plane, I'd be freaked the fuck out, too. (laughs) This is not a cute gremlin. (laughs) It's one of the scary gremlins. And then, you know, the the movie, like... (laughs) I was enjoying it at this point, but then the first time I was like, okay, the bottom's fallen out, is... She gets out of the cockpit, but, um... Uh... Not in the direction you expect. Um, 
She climbs out of the cockpit and onto the underside of the plane. Which is, like, look, I try not to be like a, oh, that's not very realistic CinemaSins guy or whatever. Um, no, me neither. But, like, yeah. I, I turned into that person, yeah. like, watching this unavoidably. Because yeah. it's impossible to watch this movie and not think that every single thing that happens in it is the dumbest shit in the world. We didn't even talk about how, like, she the, she's not on a secret mission and she forged her papers and she was pretending to be British for some reason. And actually, she was just smuggling her baby in the box on the plane. Mm. And the baby's father is also on the plane, but he didn't know she was going to be there. And she's just been covering for her the whole time. And then, like... The gremlin steals the baby and is like dangling it out of the plane. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, the out. gremlin really wants that baby. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Uh, you can't watch this and not think. And this is me. This is me talking. Who loves movies that people think are stupid as shit. This movie is the stupidest movie maybe I've ever seen in my life. I, I mean, the moment for me where, like, I was willing to roll with she's climbing on the underside of the plane. Like, I'm like, okay, I'll suspend disbelief. Maybe this is one of those things where, you know, it could actually work like this or whatever. I'm a dumb guy. I don't know how shit works. <laughs> and then what happens when she's trying to get back into the plane is that she climbs up into the hole in the plane. Yes. And then she falls. And then a plane below her explodes. And knocks her back up into the hole. <laughs> yeah. And it's done with the chintziest CGI. Yeah, it's it's in it's, the world. It it fucking it's it's awesome. That part is when I was like I, I think I said something to you, Spencer, but Yeah. That battle just fucking broke me in half. <laughs> it's like yeah. Because that's the thing. The movie up to this point has been like dumb, but it starts to cascade after this point where it's like, you know, y you've been thinking it's obviously there's like a fantasy element with this monster, but it's been like low key. She's been in the fucking turret the whole time. You think it's going to be yeah. kind of grounded. And then all of a sudden she's climbing on the underside of the plane like fucking Tom Cruise to rescue the baby. Um, and there's a great shot, by the way, if you follow me on Twitter, I talked about this. There's an amazing sequence of shots where she looks at the baby in the box, which is dangling off of a piece of, like, the fuselage. And then mm. she looks at it, and she looks down, and there's a cut from, like, her perspective, and you're supposed to be like, oh my gosh, right, the plane is in the sky! <laughs> like, oh no, if the baby falls, it'll be so high! And it's not a terribly vertigo-inducing shot either. Like, it's just, like a shot like a drone shot of the sky that's moving at a very pleasant clip it's just like <laughs> it is not like it, it's it's amazing but the moment where they could have just had her fucking climb up and everyone would have rolled with it and that but you had to like tease it a little bit by having the explosion knock her back into the plane <laughs> yeah it is yeah <sighs> so it now she's blew on the me plane. away yeah. Yeah. Keep no, keep going. It gets worse. She gets on the plane. She gets on the fucking plane. And then so, you know, now a couple of people are dead because Japanese fighters have shot a bunch of people and the gremlins uh 
the gremlins are uh at, the gremlin has been attacking multiple you know people so which by the way i need to say one of the central points of tension from that uh twilight zone episode is that it's just a normal passenger flight you know when mm-hmm. you add there's japanese soldiers and there's a gremlin it, it it becomes a hat on a hat like that's yeah and that's that's matt that's max right like he yeah. one of his like ticks is like okay what if this premise had like you know action guys and guys with guns or superheroes or like you know or or orcs <laughs> like yeah. that is what max is all about he's like all right we have a simple premise what if we added some like genre shit to it yeah and the thing is it still could have been a riff on Nightmare at 20,000 feet if it was just a Japanese fighter plane. Like, if she's the only one who can see the planes in this area and no one believes her, they could still have done it. It might yeah. have been hard to sustain that for a... I mean, this is generous calling this feature length, but it would have been hard to sustain. But with a little ingenuity, they could have done it. There would have been no gremlin required. <laughs> <laughs> And yet, they put the gremlin in. And then they have this big showdown. Or this, there's this hilarious series of events where Clary, Chloe Grace Moretz goes up to someone and just says, like, all right, you got this? And then someone's like, all right, yeah, I got this, woman. And then they're immediately either shot to death by the Japanese or mauled by the gremlin. Like, this happens to three guys in a row. Yeah, it is. it is classic. Like, I imagine, you know... There's, at the very end of the film, we'll get to uh, something that is an addition to Max's script that made me sort of realize how the ways that, like, the 90% of this movie that is Max is really stupid, but the 10% that is, like, extremely Hollywood-brained, strong female character feminism is also really stupid. And the structure of the climax is a great example of, like, every single person who's, like, you you can't shoot a gun if you're a girl and then instantly dying is a, is just yeah. the perfect example of like this is what people in Hollywood think it, a feminist film is. Yeah, yeah. No, everyone like in the post Me Too era, everyone's like, all right, we got to include sexism in our films and tackle that issue. And the way we're going to include sexism is by putting a lot of it in the movie. <laughs> we're gonna put a lot of sexism in the movie, and we'll figure out the rest. So yeah, it keeps happening, and uh, at some point she she you know fights the gremlin and kicks it out of the plane. They destroy all the Japanese bomber planes, and then they crash land the plane in the middle of a forest. Is there something I'm missing there? Is there anything you wanted to touch on? No, that's 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 pretty much it. I, there's there's more stuff after the plane crashes, but yeah. I mean, about like three minutes of stuff, but yeah, the plane crashes. And then they get down. At which point, like, three cast members are still left standing. Um, you know, they have a, the Nick Robinson character. Uh, he's still there. And a few other people. And they crash land the plane. And they run out of the plane. And it dramatically explodes behind them, as the plane is wont to do. I'm just, I was just thankful that the plane, explodes them, plane explosion didn't knock them back to an allied base. <laughs> Very thankful that didn't happen. But plane explode at ends, and then they seem like they're out of the woods, right? You know, they, they, everyone, everyone believes her. Everyone, uh, you know, likes her. There's yeah. one point where uh, they talk about, because, again, her 
stealing the baby. At one point they say, you're both going to be under arrest when we get back to base or whatever. Since, you know, the, uh, <laughs> again, she is not, you know, she was lying about her identity. She was carrying a child out of wedlock. That's something we didn't touch on, by the way, is her tragic backstory is that her baby was had out of wedlock with, you know, we mentioned that it's with one of the people on the plane. But the reason is, is because her actual husband is a hardcore wife beater who, you know, what is it? <laughs> one of the most like vicious domestic abusers in the, in the world, apparently, and would have killed her if she, he learned that she had a baby. And <laughs> someone at the, you know, someone at the military snitched and she needed to get out of Dodge fast. So she hopped on the first plane she could with a fake story. And they said, well, you're going to be court-martialed when you get back. And then there's the moment when the plane has crashed where everyone's just telling her how good of a job she did or whatever. And like, they're all going to lie to their officers about it. They say like, Oh, some dame secretary messed up your papers. And then she gets a little snappy response. What's wrong with her being a dame? And they have nothing, madam. Little, little nice that was little an addition, reversal. by the way, that was that, an addition in the script. The last lines are the guy just being like, yeah, well, you know, what happened was, uh, you know, the secretary got your paperwork wrong. Uh, freaking dames, am I right? She has no yeah. response. So, again, classic Hollywood feminist for her to be like, actually, being a girl is mm. fine. It's <laughs> badass. And um, then, yeah, uh, somehow the gremlin returned. <laughs> and it comes, can we talk about, because this, this moment fucking killed me. Um, yeah. The guy she has the baby with, because they think everything is over, gets down on one knee to propose to her. To <laughs> this propose is a sick moment. This, this <laughs> moment unironically fucking rocks. This is my favorite moment in the entire movie. This, this movie bumped it up. Like, this moment bumped it up like a half star for me. <laughs> As he's getting down on one knee about to say, will you marry me? The gremlin fucking tackles him and steals the baby again. <laughs> this is the most resilient fucking gremlin in movie history. This thing dropped out of a plane <laughs> at 20,000 feet, tumbled down, and is still like, I got to have this fucking baby. <laughs> it really wants the baby. It doesn't want to, like, kill them or anything. It just wants to steal the fucking baby. <laughs> and she gets a little Whedonite quip when the gremlin steals the baby, and she says, what is it? I told you. She says, I told you to hold on to that package. And she runs after the gremlin. She rolls up one sleeve, not two, but one sleeves. Mm -hmm. I think it's supposed to be symbolic since she was pretending to have a broken arm, but <laughs> oh, it yeah. just makes her look kind of dumb. <laughs> uh, she rolls up one sleeve and again, in a moment that is honestly kind of sick in its very stupid way, she fucking disembowels the gremlin. <laughs> she beats the shit out of it she with her like, fists. The most brutal gremlin death I have ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> like, she yeah, like, it, and it's clear that like, the gremlin is like afraid of her and like pissing itself. Yeah, it's it's like they they have like a little like sympathetic moment for the gremlin. Like it's like running away in fear. It's got like terror in its little gremlin eyes, <laughs> and she just like breaks its arm and then like punches the arm through its neck or whatever <laughs> she performs a full tilt mortal combat fatality on this fucking gremlin 
Was that yeah. in the script? <laughs> I think it was. I think that was. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, Max specified, like, note, this will be the coolest death in the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably exactly how he wrote it, yeah. Yes. If you listen to our bonus episode <laughs> last week. It's, yeah, no, it's unbelievable. <laughs> she just, like, again, it's... <laughs> It is honestly kind of sick just how fucking brutally she tortures this poor creature. <laughs> like, I was like, my heart was hurting for this gremlin. Like, it just wanted that baby. <laughs> it is also kind of remarkable how little, like, how little they touch upon the fact that gremlins are real. Like, they just say, oh, yeah. shit, it's a gremlin. Well, here, yeah, the movie opens. I, I'm, I'm glad I remembered this because it's the strangest fucking thing I've ever seen. The movie opens. There's a couple like uh, uh, production cards, including one for Redbox Entertainment, which made me very happy. Um, yeah. So literally a Redbox original. And then they play yeah. this little like, you know, World War II style instructional video for soldiers that's like, uh, don't blame all your problems on a gremlin. Like, you know, uh, <laughs> like as a metaphor for like being you know sloppy or whatever um and then i was like oh so that's like uh, that's the intro uh to the to the film or whatever no after that little short there are more production company logos <laughs> i have never seen that in film in my life that they it's in like the, the middle... prince of darkness opening <laughs> in between the production company logos they have a scene and then they just keep doing more yeah <laughs> It's it's crazy. Yeah, it's just like it's a fucking Prince of Darkness when they just have a guy standing in a room saying like, I think this might be the scientific devil. And it just says like produced by Dave Smith in the middle of it. <laughs> Prince of Darkness kicks ass for the record, by the way. That is yeah. not a dense on Prince of Darkness. It is objectively funny as fuck that they space the credits out over 10 minutes to get all the exposition <laughs> in. It is objectively one of the funniest things Carpenter has ever done. That movie kicks ass, but, like, let's be real, people. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, no. And then, after that, after all this happens, the movie just ends. It's like, it's done. <laughs> there, there, is, there is one more thing one thing, One thing, thing. I do want to mention, I do need to, like, reiterate. Like, once the gremlin is real, there's very little discussion of the fact that gremlins are now real. Like, yeah. did people in the 1940s just, like, was it like 50-50 on the gremlin question? Like, <laughs> what, well, they do. There's like God. There is something that's like, oh, yeah, I've heard of pilots seeing these. <laughs> and that's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> there's no like and you know max really was like itching to do the sequel that reveals that the cia invented gremlins yes yes a hundred percent or like the gremlin had a little gremlin family or something <laughs> maybe the gremlins misunderstood maybe the gremlin was trying to like raise the baby for its own it would raise it into like a nice baby but no cia cia gremlin program that would definitely have been in the cards for the sequel <laughs> oh um, man no, the the last shot of the movie we have to talk about um, because it is again not not in Max's script. Um, it is after she gets the baby back, and they're all just sort of like on this beach where they've crashed. It's not really clear where they are. Um, she just starts breastfeeding her baby like heroically, and it is again like <laughs> the perfect like you know 
how do we show that she's a strong female character? Um, like, we'll just yeah. have her breastfeed in a badass way. Yeah. It killed me. Yeah, they, they have, like, a really, like, uh, just a choice shot of, like, a, the non-nipple titty in the shot <laughs> of her breastfeeding that baby. Like, <laughs> the alien stuff, like, the dueling mom stuff in Aliens does not lay it on this thick. It is a really, <laughs> really choice, you know, three-quarters boob shot. Like, this, this is the stuff that teenage boys were meant to jack off to. Like, this, is, this is a legendary shot. And then, to send off Max Landis's career, possibly for good, it's in the trees! It's coming! Fucking Hounds of Love by Kate Bush plays over yep. the credits. That, that I mean... The movie had really beaten me into submission. I did not think yeah. it could have one more surprise in store. You gotta give it up. You have to give it up at this point. Like, <laughs> the movie shouldn't have anything left up its sleeve after <laughs> Chloe Grace Moretz almost shows nipple to get the fucking baby, the baby breastfeeding shot. And then a Kate Bush song plays over the end. And I just gotta say also... It is very, very funny that they got the music rights for a Kate Bush song off Hounds of Love, but it wasn't the one called The Big Sky. <laughs> <laughs> just saying, just saying. Very funny choice, but... They probably used all the budget they saved from filming an hour of this fucking movie in a little orb <laughs> yeah, to buy no. the rights to Hounds of Love. It's like, it's like fucking Napoleon Dynamite where they used like two-thirds of the budget on one Jamiroquai song. Like, it's... <laughs> <laughs> It's unbelievable. It hit me like a fucking freight train. And this yeah. is pre-Stranger Things season four. This is before the great Kate Bush renaissance. This is like just some random Kate Bush fan. I mean, who isn't? But random Kate Bush fan in the fucking audience just was like, this movie needs to end with Hounds of Love. Just needs to. I I don't even is is it I is the, the relevance to the film just the like you know it's in the it's, trees or whatever like they're like it's coming it's, yeah that's it's supposed it. to be talking about the gremlin yeah <laughs> the gremlin yeah. is actually what's coming it's a plane it's crashing <laughs> <laughs> oh man no so that will do it for Shadow in the Cloud I am so happy <sighs> this was the last one I was so worried this was going to be some generic fucking VOD trash and the season was going to end with a fucking whimper. And then we were going to have to end by doing things achronologically or like, you know, read a script to have like a proper send off or something. But this is everything I could have hoped for. This isn't, this isn't Max Landis's best movie, but I think this is his most essential movie. I think yeah. out of all of them, this is like the defining Max Landis text, a shitty Direct to VOD, no budget movie with a confused, confused plot, confused stakes, and everyone involved wants his name as far away from it as possible. <laughs> that is his legacy. Yeah, and that is going to close the book on Max Landis. This has been a lot of fun to explore. I mean, mm -hmm. it took a while to get a beat on this guy. It really did. Doug, you watch five minutes of, and you know his deal immediately. A lot of those mm -hmm. YouTube guys you can watch five minutes of, and you know their deal almost instantly. But Max was kind of an enigma for a while. You know, he was yeah. he was a skilled enough player in the game 
that that we really didn't know how to handle him for a while. But gradually, as the coke sweat mounted up, the, <laughs> the layers of the onion peeled back. And I think that now in this post Me Too, like you know, post Me Too Max, you finally get to see the real him. And he's just a fucking loser. He's a fucking dorky nerd who had rich parents and a lot of connections and was able to bullshit his way into an industry that never wanted him and never liked him. And he had almost no success in. And then it took the force of dozens of women calling him out for rape, gaslighting, and abuse, as well as his general demeanor to finally bring him down. He is the... I don't know. He's in many ways like the the ultimate Hollywood asshole. He's a rich kid with an evil dad who got into the industry by these connections and did everything in his power to make the shittiest movies possible, but mostly use it to hurt vulnerable people the same way his dad did. Well, that's it for Max Landis. Yeah. What 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 more is there to say? Uh fuck no. fuck Max Landis. Fuck uh, Max Landis. Uh, I'm glad you'll never make a movie again. I'm glad you'll never make a movie again. This movie is kind of awesome in its very specific way. Like, I highly recommend if you have any friends who are familiar with Max Landis but don't know this movie's whole deal, make them watch this. Just, it's a treat. It's one. It's like it's the type of bad movie that I throw on with my friends. It's it's a perfect crystallized gem of a bad movie, and I could not be fucking happier that it exists in its current form but that's gonna do it folks uh we're going to take a break from these main series episodes for a little bit uh season four of get cynical is going to be one of two things uh both of which are going to be very research intensive so i've got to start making interviews with people we've got to start planning shit out so but that's we do have a, a sort of uh a mini series yes that we'll be yes. doing in between. So we yes. get cynical that the train is not stopping. Yes. We will have a little mini season that we're going to do with Esther's girlfriend, Hannah um, on drum roll, please. The green brothers, Hank and John green, oh, yes. the we're vlog brothers them. themselves. Yes. Um, we touched on them on those good old fashioned values. We did an episode on the fault of the fault in our stars, the movie, but there's still a book there to talk about. <laughs> And we are going to be exhaustively going over his whole media empire. Uh, it's going to be a little mini season. Think of it as season 3B um, while we wait for this. Also, the bi-weekly schedule on our Patreon will not stop. Uh, we're going to do, if we get to, I'd say, 250 patrons by the end of the year, um, we are going to do a reading of Max's entire Pepe Le Pew script. So please, please get people to subscribe. Because, one, I need the grocery money. And, two, I really want to fucking do this. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. The Pepe Le Pew script, that'll be a lot of fun. we still got some other stuff that we want to talk about on there. And also, you know, since there won't be quite as much content until the green stuff kicks back in, me, Esther, and Andy are going to do, like, a little monthly series, maybe, where we talk about some of our favorite movies. Andy's... uh. Andy's uh, the one on the other show who uh, likes fast food and Sonic. We all got our, we all got our little favorite movies, and we're just gonna do a nice little um uh, a, a nice little series where we just get to talk about things we like. And uh, Andy suggested calling that series "Get Passionate," and I had to shoot <laughs> that down very fast because that sounds like a pornographic movie title. 
<laughs> like Andy, I was like, no, no, you can't do that. <laughs> it'll, it'll it'll have some generic name like the movie club or whatever. But we'll be doing that too. So thank you all to listen to season three. Thank you all who subscribed. This has been a ton of fun. I really love doing this show. I'm so thankful that we have all these people that listen to it, that we get like over a thousand people per episode to listen. It's fucking insane to me. It's unbelievable. Thank you so much. This has been a blast and see you all next time. Bye-bye.